Well, I invite you to open up your Bibles to the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11. Begin in verse 32, the Epistle to the Hebrews. Uh, if you are using a pew Bible, I just looked it up, that's on page 1008, if you need that. But if you have your own copy of God's Word, I'm sure you'll be able to find your way to our reading this morning. We'll be reading Hebrews 11, verse 32, through Hebrews 12, verse 3. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 will be our sermon text this morning. So God's holy and inerrant Word says, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now our sermon text, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose As far as the reading of God's word, please pray with me. O Lord our God, you have given us this word, these scriptures for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that your people might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray now, O Lord, that we would indeed be equipped for every good work. Teach us by your spirit, we pray. Show us glorious things of our Lord Jesus Christ in your word. Pray that you would be with myself and the congregation as we as we hear these scriptures proclaimed, that you would speak to us, that they would be the very words of Christ to us. And I pray for myself, O Lord, that I would speak rightly your word, that you would set a guard over my lips so that the words which I say will not mislead or misdirect any but will only point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, O Lord, that the meditations of our heart, the words of my mouth, would be acceptable to you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I wonder if any of you can remember or perhaps even still have some heroes in your life. People that uh, you look up to, people that you looked up to back in the day, people that you wanted to be like. See, when, when we were children, we probably all had uh, different heroes, kind of depending upon our interest, right? If you were an athlete, perhaps you looked at some professional athletes and you said, "Wow, they're really they're really great, they're really cool. I kind of wish I could I could be like that." When I grow up, or maybe if you were uh, more focused on on sciences or something like that, you could look at those great scientists throughout history, Einstein or Louis Pasteur or some of those other men, and you say, wow, they, they discovered some really amazing things about this world. I, 
kind of wish I could be like that. Maybe even, even now, in adulthood, you see some people and you think, I wish I could be kind of like them. We, oftentimes we have hero, heroes, don't we? People we want to be like. Well, in Hebrews, in this book, I read kind of the, the last section of of chapter 11 to establish context and, and also to remind us of what the author of the book of Hebrews is doing in this section of the book. So just a little bit of context. The book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, was written to Jewish Christians who were suffering. These people were afflicted. See, they were, they were being persecuted in many ways, not necessarily outright uh, persecution, which we might imagine, uh, imprisonment, death, things like that, but, but they were also being persecuted in, in more subtle ways. Right? These are Christian Jews who are living amongst uh, the Jewish society. And so there's unbelieving Jews, which they still know. Unbelieving Jews, which are looking at them saying, what do you have which is really so great? Unbelieving Jews that say, look, we have the temple. The temple was, was still standing when this book was written. We have the temple. What do you have? You meet in, in these small, obscure places. Or, well, we have all of these great ceremonies. What do you all have? You just have baptism and this little meal that you take every now and then. What do you have? So we have great prophets. What do you have? Your, your guy died on a cross. We're persecuting these Christians, kind of plaguing them with, with questions. And so the author of Hebrews is sending this letter to these believing Jewish people to remind them of what exactly they do have. It's a sermon. And the first ten chapters or so are a sermon to, to tell them what they have. Things which are far better than anything which they've left behind. They have the Lord Jesus Christ better than the angels, better than the priests, even better than Melchizedek, better than the temple and any of the Old Testament ceremonies. They have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he does that through the first ten chapters, and now he begins to, to shift. Here's what you have which is better. Here's what you do with that information in the midst of your persecution. He begins in chapter 11 by pointing them to the Old Testament saints. People who went before them. People who looked forward to the promises of God. The promise that Christ would indeed come heroes of the faith. And the author of Hebrews directs our attention, directs those, those original members of his audience, he directs their attention to the people who have gone before them, who have looked in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that... They can endure. So that they can endure. He points to people who ran their race well. And then in our text this morning, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he says, you now need to run your race well. See, in these three verses, he tells you, tells his original audience, that you're called to run the race of faith with endurance. You're supposed to focus on the creator of enduring faith and also consider the creator of faith's own endurance. You're supposed to run like the Old Testament heroes. Be like your heroes and endure. You see, endurance is very important in this text. Each of the three verses... In chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, uses the word endurance. So the, the author wants his audience to know, both the original audience and you this morning, how important endurance is. And you're called to run the race of faith with endurance, focusing on the creator of enduring faith and considering his own endurance. So with that in mind, I'd like to direct our attention to the particulars of this text. I have three things which I want to show to you this morning. First, you have a call. You have a call. Run with enduring faith. We see that in verse 1. And second, you should have a focus. 
Your focus should be on the creator of enduring faith, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 2. And third, you're also to have a consideration. Your consideration is to be the endurance of Christ Jesus. So then three very simple things which I want to expound to you this morning. Your call, your focus, and your consideration. So look with me now to chapter 12, verse 1, where we see your call this morning, the call to run with enduring faith. We read here in 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now we see here at the very beginning, the author uses the word therefore. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, whenever you see therefore, you've got to ask what the therefore is there for. It's a bit of a tongue twister when you're up here speaking to people, but it's, it's a good point. Therefore is used as kind of the logical conclusion of the whole preceding section. So the author here says, in light of everything that I just wrote to you in chapter 11, this whole hall of faith, as we call it, all of these saints, Abraham and his faith, Moses and his faith, uh, Joshua, uh, uh, Joseph, uh, Rahab, all of these people, in light of their faith, in light of what I told you about it, in light of this great cloud of witnesses, he calls them, you have something which you too need to do, which all of these other people did. He calls all of these people in, in chapter 11 a, a cloud of witnesses. You're surrounded by them. All of these saints who have gone before you, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament throughout church history, you this morning are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. There are people who have lived this same Christian life, albeit with various particulars which are different to us, but who have run the same kind of race which we are called to run. We're surrounded by them, much like a cloud. You know when you drive through a fog bank, it's, it's all around you. It surrounds you. It kind of inhibits your vision a little bit even. That's the imagery which he's using here. You're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. It's so thick. There are so many saints which have gone before you. It's as though you are in a cloud. You're surrounded by them. In light of that, in light of that, because they were able to endure through the grace of God, you too, dear saint, are called to do something similar to them. You are called to run the race. I'm going to skip to the end of the verse here because he calls us to run with endurance, the race that is set before him. The call proper, run. Lace up your shoes, dear saints. The author here says, I know life is tough. I know things are hard. I know sometimes in, in this walk of faith, which you have before you, sometimes you lose sight of the end goal. Now, that could be through various different things, trials, tribulations, even maybe on your own personal failings, things like that. The apostle uh, here in writing to us says, it's going to be difficult, I know, but, but there's something which you must do. You must not say, this is too hard, and turn around and go home. No, instead, he says, get ready and run this race. He's using imagery here, again, uh, along with the cloud of witnesses and in running the race of these great races which used to take place in the ancient world. Right? These races were not sprints. The races in the ancient world, they did have some you know, sprinting foot races uh, to see who was you know, the fastest over short distance. But the big events which they had were endurance races. Races in which these men would just run and run for as long as they possibly could. And, and whoever ran the longest, the last person to, to fall over, as it was, he got the prize. 
he was the winner. He was he was the champion. He got the the crown, the wreath. He got all of the accolades. The apostle here says that you need to run like that person. You're not in a sprint. The Christian life is is not a quick little foot race where you you know do a, a ten yard dash and then you stop and you take a couple deep breaths and you say, okay, great, we're done. Now the Christian life is long. Longer for some than others. Some of us were converted as children, continue through the faith. Some of us were converted as adults, and so maybe we don't run the race for quite as long, but it's a lifelong commitment, isn't it? From that moment when you are saved, from that moment when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to your last day, you're in the race. You're there. You've been signed up. You've got your your number on you already. You're called to run go. Keep at it. Don't give up, the author says. Run the race. How are we to run this race? Well, if we now go back a little bit in verse 1, the author says that we are called not just to run, but we're also called to put some stuff aside away from us. we got to get rid of some stuff. And that's going to help in running the race. Look here at the middle part of verse 1. The author writes, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. See, if we're going to run this race, we're going to persevere in the Christian life. There's a couple things which we need to get rid of. A couple things which, uh, in getting rid of, will help us. Two things. First, encumbrances. And second, every sin which so easily entangles us. Now, I mentioned these races in the ancient world. One of the the intriguing facts is these people wanted to be um, as aerodynamic as possible, we could say. The runners in the ancient world did not show up to their races in their you know, best tunic and cloak and their sashes and their sandals. They got rid of every scrap of clothing that they had on because they did not want to be encumbered in any way, shape, or form. That's, that's the image which... The author is using here, he says, get rid of anything, anything which might hinder you in running the race of the Christian faith. Every encumbrance. What are these different encumbrances? Well, since he uses the phrase every encumbrance and then he talks about the sin which easily entangles us, these Encumbrances are not necessarily things which are wrong in and of themselves. They're not. But they are things which prevent you from obeying Christ, from following after him the way you're supposed to do, for distracting you. That's, that's what these encumbrances do. They, they're distractions. They could be good things in and of themselves. Could be sports. Could be uh, reading books. It could be watching television, even. And yet, if those things distract you from following after Christ, they are encumbrances which we ought to get rid of. As a young man, I played a lot of sports in, in high school. I was pretty involved uh, athletically, baseball, football, basketball. Those things during that time in my life were actually distractions from me. Instead of paying attention when I went to church, I would think, I'd kind of rather be outside playing ball right now. It's a nice day, good weather, perfect day for a game. It was, it was a distraction to me. Now, thankfully, the Lord didn't give me enough talent where that continued to be a distraction for me after high school. So, but it was an encumbrance during that time in my life. So we ought to be asking ourselves this morning, are there certain things in my life which, though 
not wrong in and of themselves, are an encumbrance. Things which distract me from following after the Lord Jesus. Activities. Friends, even. You have friends and you are are unbelieving friends, we should say, and you're friends with them so that you have opportunities to share the gospel with them. That is a good and excellent thing and we should have those relationships so that we have more opportunity to spread the gospel. But, and this is true, I think, especially for children. Children, listen, there are times when you might have friends and instead of you being a good example for them, telling them about Jesus, they become a distraction for you. You have to be very careful with that. You have to make sure that that those friendships aren't drawing you away from the Lord Jesus. You should be drawing those friends closer to Him, not letting them draw you away. I want to warn you, be, be careful about that. Choose your friends wisely and take opportunities to tell your friends about Jesus. Put aside encumbrances, dear saints, and put aside every sin which so easily entangles us. Now, when he writes this, uh, I think if you think to maybe uh, the King James Version, it, it talks about those, those um, oh, I forget the language just now. Basically, uh, sins which are dear to us is kind of the way that translation makes it sound. That's not necessarily the case. The author here is not speaking just of your pet sin or those particular sins which are especially difficult for you uh, to repent of. He's talking about every sin. Every sin very easily entangles us, doesn't it? Even though we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we, we love Him and we want to serve Him, we want to follow after Him, we want to obey Him, yet so often those sins creep into our lives and before we know it, that very brief temptation which is so hard for us to resist all of a sudden becomes a full-fledged sin. It, it easily entangles us. It's like a net spread out in the road and as you're running, all of a sudden, you run into the net and you look down and you're all tangled up. You can't move. The author here says you, you must get rid of those sins too. He says put to death the deeds of the flesh so that you may live. He says sin will distract you from following after Jesus. Sin will distract you from running this race which you're called to run. You've got to get rid of it. All sin, from the smallest to the biggest, all sins, from those sins which you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's really a bad sin, that's, that's heinous, to those sins which you're like, well, you know, it's small, it's cute. I don't really, I could probably hang on to this one a little while longer. No. You're a Christian. Here you are called. If you want to run this race set before you, you must kill all sin. Must, must put it to death, big and small, all of it, because it will impede your race. If you were getting ready to run a race, would you bend over and tie your shoelaces together before you started? No, that would be ridiculous. It's the same thing with sin. If you're seeking to run this race, do you say, all right, keep this little sin here with me? No. No, it's like tying your shoelaces together. It's foolishness and it will impede you. So I encourage you, I exhort you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, seek to put to death those sins. Repent of them. When you sin, go immediately to the throne of grace. Go confess your sin to the Lord. Ask for the help of the Spirit. Pray for grace. Asking the Lord, help me. Help me to be done with these sins. Help me to put them away. Help me to stay away from them forever. Oh Lord, do this for your glory and your honor. Do this so that I might be one who runs well to your glory and honor. Help me, oh Lord. And after you take this into the throne of grace, after you've confessed it, know that Christ is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. Put that behind you and run. Run to Jesus constantly, completely. In this race, that is your call. 
Run with enduring faith. Run. Putting aside all those things which will slow you down. Run. Run. Run to the focus of our faith. My second point this morning. You're called to run this race. You're you're called to focus on an end goal, a particular point. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has created the faith that endures. Look at verse 2 with me. So we're called to run the race set before us, and we are called to do that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, dear Christian, you are called to run this race, but you're not called to run this race with your eyes closed or blindfolded. Again, if I might use an example of, of my athletic days, one day at football practice, my coach lined us all up on the, on the 10 yard line and facing the opposite end of the, uh, the field. And he said, all right, gentlemen, I want you to go to the 20 yard line. Just, just walk, walk towards the end zone, walk towards the goalpost. So we all kind of looked at each other and we said, all right. So we walked 10 yards. And he said, all right, stop. Stop. Now I want you all to close your eyes. No peeking. I want you all to walk towards that goalpost another 10 yards. Go ahead, do it. Well, we said, all right, fine. We walked. He said, all right, stop. Now open your eyes and see which way you're pointed. We did. Some of us were still headed in the direction of the goalpost, but, you know, I think the majority of us weren't. Thankfully, nobody had gotten turned completely around. But several of us were, you know, pointed off just a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left. And if we'd gone another, you know, 20, 30 yards, we'd have been out of bounds at that point. We wouldn't have been going towards our goal. Here the author of Hebrews tells you, you have to fix your eyes on a goal as you run this race. You have to fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a a horse with, with blinders on. You can only see one direction. He says, you need a laser focus on the object of your faith. The one to whom you are running. You want to run this race well? All right. Get rid of these things. How's that going to help you? You're going to look at Jesus. Because he's your savior. Because he is the one who has created faith in you. And will bring it to completion. That is how Christ is described here in verse 2. Our focus is on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. The author and perfecter of your faith. The one who caused this faith to come about. Ephesians 2. By grace you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Both the grace through which you are saved, both the faith through which you take hold of Christ. These are gifts of God to you. Christ has has created those in you by His Holy Spirit. He is the one who started all of your faith. This race of faith which you've entered into, that entrance is Christ doing. The end goal which you're running towards, Christ. The author and perfecter, perfecter, the the A and the Z, the beginning and end of this, this whole race of the Christian faith is Christ Jesus Himself. He has created faith in you. He will perfect it. Though now we still have that remnant of sin in us, which we got to put to death in our, in our running this race, yet one day, one day we will be glorified. Faith will be perfected. We won't be looking through, through the glass dimly anymore. We'll see Christ face to face. Oh, to, Hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, as we stand before His presence, as we see our Lord and Savior, and as He wipes away every tear from our eyes and says to us, you're home, and there's no more sin here. 
Christ has begun a good work in you, He will bring it to pass. Because He is the author, the one who created faith. He's the perfecter, the one who will bring it to pass, the one who will glorify you in His presence. That is focus Christ Jesus Himself. But, but look at what else the author said here. He could have just stopped there, couldn't he? I think that probably would have been more than enough information for us. Run the race with endurance. Lay aside every encumbrance. Lay aside every sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who both began and will finish this work of faith in you. He just stopped there. We could have said, Amen. Let's do it. But he continues here. This one who creates and, and perfects our faith. He is one who endured something himself. See, the, the saints who were suffering, the Hebrew saints who were suffering, their Savior is one who empathizes with them. You, dear saints, in all of your suffering and the trials which you go through in life, big or small, your Savior empathizes with you. Look at what verse 2 says about Christ. It says, Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. See, we have a Savior, the one who creates faith in us, who endured something far worse than anything which we will ever in this life, or only in this life, uh, endure. Christ endured the cross. The text says it was for the joy set before him. Because, it's another way we could render that, because of the joy set before him. How is going to the cross, how is enduring the cross, how does that have anything to do with joy set before him? Simply this. When the triune God, before the foundation of the world, Plan to save a people for himself. It isn't as though the Father and the Spirit said, we vote that Jesus is the one who goes to the cross. Two against one, we win. And Jesus sat back and said, well, I guess I've been outvoted. No, it was the will of all three persons of the Trinity to save a people. And so the Father, in love, elected a people to be saved. And Christ in love said, I will go into that world. I will take on human flesh. I will obey the law of God perfectly, fulfilling everything needed to save my people. I will go to that cross to glorify my Father and to save the people which I love. It is joy to me to do that. The Spirit said, I will take that finished work of Christ and apply it to all of God's elect people. They will be saved to the uttermost. The triune God perfectly with one will determined to save His people. Save them He does. And Christ did it because of His great love for us, because of His great love for the glory of God, for the joy which He had to fulfill this plan which He and the Father and the Spirit planned. And set in action. It was joy to Christ to do that. To exchange that glory which he had in heaven for a weak mortal body. To take that on to himself. To suffer temptation. Suffer uh, the persecution of men. It was joy to him to do that. To glorify God. and To save the people whom he loved. For joy. The joy set before him, he endured that cross and he despised the shame. It was as nothing to him. The cross was the most shameful death that a person could die during that time of the Roman Empire. The person cru crucified, <coughs> they hung there for an incredibly long time, suffering agony as, as the nails pulled in their, their wrists and in their feet, they push up to get a breath because the way your arms are hanging up compresses the lungs so it's hard to breathe. It's agony. And then on top of all that, <coughs> those who were crucified were crucified naked. Hanging there. Exposed for all people to see. And on top of that, people would come by and mock those being crucified because obviously these were terrible criminals. 
It mocked them. Christ himself mocked by all of those people who gathered around him. The Jews who said, oh, he says he's God, let him come down. Well, why don't you call on your angels to save you? Come on, if you're the king of the Jews, why are you hanging up there mocked? It was great shame. It was great degradation. But Christ here, the author of Hebrews says, despised the shame. It was as nothing to him. He didn't care about it one little bit. Why? Because of this joy set before him. Because of the great pleasure which he has in fulfilling the plan of God to save a people. Because of the great love with which he loves us. He looked at that cross and instead of saying, this is terrible. Terrible it was. He, He knew how terrible it was. He prayed that the cup of God's wrath would pass from him, that he wouldn't have to undergo all of this in the garden. He knew it was terrible, and yet at the same time, he said, I'll do it. I will accomplish this. Father, not my will, yours be done. I will go to this cross to save my people. He despised the shame. And then look at what the last part of verse 2 tells us. The Creator endured the cross, despising the shame, but because He endured the cross, look at this also, He has untold glory. Now, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is seated in the place of honor in heaven, at the Father's right hand, the place of of authority, the place of favor. Think of this, dear Christians. A man sits at God's right hand. The Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, 100% God, yes, but fully man, 100% man. There is a man who sits in heaven at the right hand of the Father in the place of glory, in the place of of power, in in the place of favor. Christ Jesus, the God man, sits there. You have a representative in heaven who is like you in every respect, except that he is without sin, he sits there having received untold glory, the honor of the one seated at the right hand of God, and he sits there and intercedes for his people day and night. Dear saints, I want to encourage you, never be ashamed of your Savior. See, people try and... and Shame Christians all the time, saying, oh, well, you know, Jesus, yeah, that guy, he he died. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, of course he did. What was the purpose for his death? He died for me. It doesn't bring me shame for you to, to speak of how my Savior sacrificed his life for me. Oh, people bring all manner of, of blasphemies against Christ. They try in every which way to make Christians feel ashamed of their Savior, to feel ashamed of their faith. Oh, you're backwards, you're bigoted. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you deny science. They try every sort of way that they can to make Christians feel feel ashamed. Don't be ashamed, dear Christian. Be like your Savior. Despise the shame. Yes, being a Christian might be unpopular right now. In fact, it might become more and more and more unpopular as time goes by. We pray that the Lord sends revival, and yet if he doesn't, we can see that you know we are on a trajectory here where Christianity might become more and more unpopular. More and more persecution might arise, and yet we can look to Christ, fixing our eyes on Christ, saying, the Lord Jesus Christ endured all of these things. Who am I, his servant? To think I'm better than my master. He endured the cross. I can endure a little bit of persecution in this life. Don't be ashamed. Despise the shame. Even as Christ despised the shame. Don't be ashamed of your Savior or or the faith. For the joy set before you. The fact that if you are in Christ, you are headed to the presence of Christ. At your death, you will appear before Him. At your death... You will see him face to face. At your death you will hear that beautiful phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. For that joy 
which is promised to you. Indeed, even the resurrection of our bodies on the last day. Look, Christ, for that joy. Run your race, fixing your eyes on Christ, focusing completely on Him as you go. Why? Because He created faith in you. He will bring it to pass. You may look to Him, taking a great joy in Him, placing all of your hope, all of your trust in Him, your great Savior, the one who created faith. So that is the second thing which the author of Hebrews shows us is that we are to have a focus. We were called to run. We're called to focus on Christ, the Alpha and Omega of our faith. But we're also called to one other thing here in, in verse 3. Somewhat similar, but with a different purpose. We're also called to consider something. Considering the endurance of Christ. Look at verse 3. We read here, For... Consider him, that is Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have a consideration as well as a focus and a call. Or consideration, the endurance of Christ himself. We see here that this consideration has an object. The object, namely Christ and his Endurance. Consider Christ. Consider his endurance. How did he endure? Well, it says here that he endured such hostility. I've mentioned this a little bit previously in reference to the cross, but Christ endured hostility. When he took on flesh, when he came to earth, coming a man, he did not come with great fanfare. The kings of the earth did not all see him at his first coming and say, there's the Lord of glory. Let's worship him. No, he came as a baby, a very poor baby, the son of a carpenter, a general contractor in the ancient world. Came and when he was born, didn't even get to be born and stay in a nice house. Placed in that manger. Very low. Very humble beginnings. Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, came humbly. And then as he grew up, did people finally begin to recognize him and say, hey, there, there he is. It's, it's our God. It's the Lord of glory. No. No, he came and he called people to repent. He said, repent. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what did people do? Brushed him off. When he went to the synagogues and, and preached... Well, the, what Isaiah the prophet said it is now fulfilled. I, I'm the Messiah. I'm come. Did they listen to him? A few did. Most did not. He said, no, we don't like that. When the Lord Jesus revealed who he was, that he was God incarnate, when he said, the Father and I are one, what did the people want to do to him? They wanted to kill him. They started to pick up stones to stone him. They didn't recognize who he was from, from the, the beginning of his, his earthly life to the end. The Lord Jesus endured hostility. People were against him. He endured that. He didn't say, hey, wait a minute. I'm God. You can't do this to me. Don't you recognize who I am? I deserve your praise. I deserve your worship. You will bow before me right now. No. He, because of his... his his great humility, uh, this condescension coming to earth, he, he endured it. He put up with it. He said, I don't need all of these accolades. I need to do my Father's will. I need to do the task which has been set before me. I need to fulfill all righteousness. I need to go to this death, to give my life as a ransom for many. He endured hostility, but... The thing, this, the second part of this phrase, I think, should really cause us to marvel. He endured such hostility by sinners, by sinners against himself. He didn't demand the worship of people. He told them who he was. He he calls his people whom he wants to worship him to himself, but 
He didn't come demanding. He came in humility. And he, the Lord of glory, was opposed by sinners against himself. Can you, can you imagine that? Think about that. The thrice holy God, the one who gave the law to men so that they would know what God's will is, so that they would see their own sins, so that they would say, I need a savior. The one who gave that came to earth and those, those people who were in rebellion against him, those who are treasonous against him, we committed cosmic treason, they opposed him. They tried to trip him up. They said, ah, we're going to catch Jesus in sin this time. We'll bring, a, we'll bring this adulterous woman before him. We'll say, hey, Jesus, what do you want us to do about this? Because, you know, if he says, well, she needs to be stoned, then we can call him unmerciful. But if he lets her go, we can say, ah, you've broken God's law. He let this, he let this adulterous woman go. They tried to trip him up. Sinners. Rebels against God. Not recognizing that in his grace and mercy towards them, he didn't strike them down right then and there. Well, that's what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. Jesus endured that hostility against himself, the marvelous riches of his grace and mercy, that he endured that. And endured it, why? So that he could save those same sinners. So that he could take those of us who were once dead in our trespasses and sins at enmity with God, that he could make us alive together with him and make us the friends and indeed even the adopted children of God. Christ endured hostility for that. When you are running this race of the Christian faith and you say, oh, this is hard. This is tough. And God sure does expect a lot of me, doesn't he? He wants me to, to not have idols. He wants me to not covet. This is really difficult. Is it really? Is it really? Look at what the Lord Jesus endured. He obeyed that law perfectly. He did it while opposed by sinners. He did it knowing that he would go to the cross to save the very people who would oppose him. That ought to give you so much comfort and so much energy to run this race. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says is the whole point of this consideration. In this second part of the verse, he says that we're supposed to consider that so that will you will not grow weary and lose heart. This consideration's purpose is your endurance. When life gets you down, when you are struggling, you're saying, Lord, it's, I, don't, I don't really know if I can do this anymore. It's hard. It's hard to be a Christian. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Meditate on the work of Christ. Meditate on the person of Christ. Think of your great high priest who was tempted in every respect like, like we are. He was tempted. Enduring more intense temptation than you or I or anyone else can ever imagine. He resisted temptation to the utmost. We, we failed so easily. But Christ was tempted, yet he was without sin. He, he obeyed the law of God perfectly to be our perfect spotless lamb, the one who would take away our sins. He was treated with hostility. He was treated with contempt. He was persecuted for preaching the word of God to people. He was killed. Yes, to fulfill God's eternal plan, but killed because men hated him and hated the truth from a human perspective. He was killed. Consider, consider that. Meditate on that. And yet, while you do that, consider the rest of the story. Consider how he was raised from the dead. He endured that cross. He died, was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He sits in that place of glory and honor and power to be our king, our prophet and our priest, our advocate, 
to whom we look. Consider the whole Christ, everything of who he is and what he's done. Let that be the fuel which propels you as you seek to run the race. What you need is this which burns hot and long in your soul. The consideration of Christ. Focus on Him. Look to Him. Cry out to Him. He sympathizes with you. He understands what it is to endure. When you are having a hard time enduring, cry out to Him. He can and He will give you the strength to run your race. To fulfill this call to run with endurance. Focus on Him. Consider Him. One of my favorite uh, slogans, mottos, whatever you want to call it, in, in church history, comes from the Moravian church. Their seal is, is the Lamb of God. He's got this banner which streams out behind him, the cross on it, and then kind of etched around the seal are the words, the Lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. Dear believers, the Lamb has conquered. The Lord Jesus Christ has conquered. Let us follow him. Let us run our race well. Running to him. Looking to him. Considering him as we run. So that we might glorify and honor him. Let us do so by his grace. Through the spirit. Running to him always. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God. We marvel at your great grace towards us, O oh, Lord Jesus. We do wonder at your great humility in coming to earth, being born as a baby, living life, obeying God's law perfectly on our behalf, suffering hostility against yourself, going to the cross to be the propitiation for our sins. O oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for that. Oh, help us to think on these things as we seek to be good and faithful Christians, as we seek to, to run this race. Lord, we are so easily led astray. We are so easily encumbered, so easily tangled up by sin. Help us. Help us to put those aside running to you. Lord Jesus, it is all about you. Help us, we pray. Make us good and faithful servants so that you might be glorified. We ask for your name. Amen.